On this episode of Main Street Magic, I talk with Drew and Logan from Sally Corporation, one of the world's leading designers and manufacturers of dark rides. This is episode 90 of the Main Street Magic podcast. Hello and welcome to another episode of Main Street Magic. I'm your host, Jeremy Stein, and today I'm at the Sally Corporation headquarters in Jacksonville, Florida, to speak with VP of Design, Drew Hunter, and Project Manager, Logan Zawaki. Welcome to the show, guys. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you so much for uh, inviting me up here to, to Sally Corporation. Um, I didn't want to just read any sort of like canned bio about you guys because you both have extremely interesting jobs. You work for an amazing company. Um, so maybe Drew, if you want to start off, I know you've been here sure. for a while, you've been doing this for a long time. Tell us a little bit about how you ended up at, at Sally and how you ended up helping to create theme park rides. Well, first of all, I would say that uh, you know a lot of people really would love to have a dream job. Yeah. And this is. Yeah. This is. It is really the culmination of everything I've learned professionally. I've been a mural painter. I've written plays, directed plays, uh, artist, uh, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera, a designer. And I use all of those capabilities in this job. Now, I've been here now 21 and a half years, Sally Corporation. Uh, the greatest move I ever had, I, I used to work in Dallas uh, uh, with a company that designed Halloween activities, Halloween okay. uh, characters, haunted attractions, costumes, stories, you name it. And we did that for a bunch of uh, major theme parks. And uh, before that, had other work on television and this and that. But it all kind of came for full circle when I came to work at Sally Corporation. So it really is a dream job. I've been able to use all those, all those talents and work with some amazingly talented people. Because it's not just Drew, it's, it's the entire team. Yeah. Uh, no one can do it alone. And it's, it's something on kind of the dark ride side, and you said you need to do it, haunted mansions and things like that. Was that just something as a kid you loved? Was it, that side of things? Yes, it's, that, that is, that's a very good point. I, uh, the first dark ride I ever went on was at the Louisiana State Fair. My dad took me on. It was called Ghost Trail. Now, in Britain, dark rides very often are called ghost trains. Okay. And I thought for years this was called the ghost train because I saw a partial picture of this ride in a reference book one time. But then I found another photograph of it. It was kind of like uh, Citizen Kane's search for, Charles Foster Kane's search for Rosebud. Uh -huh. This is mine to find a picture of that first dark ride <laughs> I ever went on when I was about six years old. And I finally did. That's I so finally cool. did. It was called Ghost Trail. And I remember vividly going on this with my dad and sitting in the little car and a little is on the midway of the Royal American shows in Shreveport, Louisiana. And we were getting ready to go through those doors. And I kept thinking, what's behind those doors? What am I going to see? What's going to happen? And the anticipation was just amazing. We go through the doors, and of course, it was a terrible ride. <laughs> it was awful. It was a little thing, but these little cages with the wire in front of them, and things that could pop up and go, Bang! and something else would go, Bang! and I'm sitting there going, Dad. <laughs> and we came out, and I went, Can we go again? That's so great. Can we go again? And we did. And then I went to the, uh, the second year that. Um, Walt Disney's Disneyland opened, the original park, yeah. 1955. In 1957, I went for the first time with my family and went on Mr. Toad's Wild Ride, the Snow White Dark Ride, and Peter Pan's Flight. Yeah. And that, I knew that's what I wanted to do. Somehow, I wanted to eventually get there. I did haunted houses in the meantime because I didn't have the means to do you know, transport systems, uh, you know, uh, carriages or vehicles or something. But I did my next best thing, which was walkthroughs. Uh, but getting people into a theatrically controlled environment doesn't have to be scary. It could be happy, like it's a small world or whatever. Yeah. But getting, transporting people into a realm like that was something that really appealed to me as a kid. 
And that was kind of a long-term goal, and finally it worked out that way. That is really cool. I love that story. And I can tell you have such a passion for all of it, which is great, too. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. Um, how about you, Logan? Because I, I know a little bit more about you. You and I have some friends in common. Yes. And um, I know you are an amazing artist, so I'm not surprised you. you're somewhere like here. But what what attracted you to come to Sally? What was your history? How, you know, why'd you, why'd you end up here? Well, you know, it was kind of interesting because growing up, I always loved theme parks, went to all the Disney parks here in Orlando. Uh, so very, very, very familiar with theme parks. Never, ever, ever imagined that I could actually get a job yeah. doing this. Just never even thought it was a possibility. Um, really, it was when I was pursuing my master's at um, Savannah College of Art and Design, I was pursuing an MFA in photography, but they had this Disney Imagineering class. Mm -hmm. And even though it was a limited access, and even though I was not in any kind of uh, degree program that would really be relevant to it, I was like, I have yeah. to apply. <laughs> and so thankfully, my past experience as a graphic designer and my storytelling opened the doors to become a part of that class and it was a life-changing class so that class really opened my eyes to all of the jobs that are within this amazing industry there's yeah. so much more than you would ever even imagine and that's being a part of that and getting to go behind the scenes of everything at the four disney parks getting to to witness that and to talk to all the imagineers and to learn their backgrounds and to find out how they all came from these very diverse backgrounds that you're like how did you end up here yeah. and it's yeah. just just fate brought them to it you know and so for me i was like this is awesome i would love to do this this is a dream job but i'm already on my path to becoming a professor of photography yeah. and so Got my MFA, started teaching, taught at Art Institute of Jacksonville, taught at the University of North Florida, became um, the program coordinator at Art Institute. Things were going really well. Then they announced the school was closing. Oh, yeah, yeah. So it was like, <laughs> hmm, what am I going to do now? And our, it was funny because the career counselor at Art Institute, Tammy McGriff, gave me great advice. She said, Logan, this job is ending. I want you to just close your eyes and I want you to really think, what do you want to do? Is it, does it doesn't matter what your experience is. It doesn't matter what you think you should do. What do you want to do? What would be your dream job? And I just told her, I was like, ah, I would love to work in the theme park industry. And she said, the, the door is just open for you. You've, you've now opened yourself up to possibilities. Yeah. and. Ironically, a week later, uh, Bill Keevy, our designer here, got a call from the creative director, Rich Hill, at Sally Corporation, saying that there was a design position, wanted Bill to apply for that. And then it was like, oh, yeah, and by the way, there's a project manager position. Do you know anybody? So, of course, Bill naturally asked my wife. <laughs> and I was like, what, what the heck, man? Uh, and so he just thought I wouldn't be interested because it wasn't a, a design position. And I was like, oh, no, 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 I'm interested. Yeah. So um, came here, met Donna Gentry, our VP of project management, just automatically hit it off, hit it off with everybody. I had previously met Drew when he came to Art Institute to do some guest critiques, um, met Rich. And also knew one or two of the guys out in the shop. So already kind of had an in, but definitely had to work hard to get this position and have been working hard ever since I got it. So awesome. loving it. Yeah, that is awesome. Those are great stories, both of you. Um, well, we were, we were talking about a little bit before I hit record that, you know, a lot of people don't people know about Disney Imagineers. I mean, because that's you just know if you're a Disney fan, you know, kind of more a little bit how that process works in a sense. But I don't think for all these other theme parks, and you guys work with a ton and have provided rides and, and attractions to you know theme parks all over the world. People don't understand that a place like Sally Corporation exists, and that there, you know I think even for me, my thought a lot was everywhere else probably does it kind of like Disney does it. You know, is so. In what way does it work? For example, Six Flags is looking to add a new attraction. Um, is is a certain relationship already built? Is there a is it like a job opening where they put out and say, hey, for anybody in the world that, you know, develops theme park attractions, we're looking for one. How do you guys get involved in the initial stages and in the initial concept, I guess, for a brand new ride at a theme park? 
Well, <clears throat> first of all, it never happens the same way twice. Okay. <laughs> That's the first thing. Yeah. Just like every day here is different. Yeah. No routine, really. I mean, you show up to work. That's the routine, I guess. Yeah. Other than that, it's who knows, <laughs> so which is really interesting. But as far as uh, the, the work, uh, acquiring the work and so on, sometimes because our company is, is now 41 years old, yeah. Sally Corporation, and which is pretty amazing in itself. It is. Very and and uh, so we have a great reputation across the world. Now, I guess there are some people who still do not know of us, and we still go to trade shows to introduce what we do. And we have a web presence, of course, with a wonderful website uh, and all that for, for people who are not as familiar with us. But so many people are familiar with us. So we have not only repeat customers. Mm-hmm. We've done work for Six Flags for before. For example, at Six Flags Over Texas, they're, they had an original old dark ride, which is a float-through dark ride. And, of course, Six Flags was the original Six Flags Park in Arlington, Texas, uh, called the Spelunker Cave. It was called the Cave Ride or the Spelunkers, depending on who you talk to. Uh, and a little dark float through. It wasn't really scary. It was kind of cute, and everyone loved it. Well, it kind of ran its course. So Sally was responsible for bringing in uh, the Looney Tunes characters mm-hmm. and uh, Yosemite Sam and his uh, Gold River Adventure, I mm-hmm. believe is what mm-hmm. it is. Uh, and we put that in there. So we had done work with Six Flags. Then when it came time to um, uh, do some other work for them, we, we did uh, the Challenge of Tutankhamun. They had bought a, a park over in Belgium, huh. and then they did a lot of expanding uh, back in the early part of 2000s in, in Europe. Bought a park in, uh, in Belgium just outside of Brussels, and we sold them our challenge of Tutankhamun ride, which is a massive, interactive, and extremely heavily themed ride. Then it was just a natural situation of of progressions where uh, they wanted to do a Justice League ride based on a one of our first Justice League rides, which had been done for another company in Australia. But they wanted to do their own version of it. Rich Hill, our creative director, was a mastermind behind all those. And um, so now we have seven of those, including one in Mexico City. Oh, wow. Last one that opened was a beautiful, beautiful version of this ride. They're all very similar, but the top of the mark is the one at Magic Mountain in California, Six Flags Magic Mountain. So that's one way is that we have worked with people before, and they keep working with us because they like our company. We deliver on time. We deliver what we say we're going to do. We're an honest company. Then there are people who really don't know what they want to do. We've had that experience, too. And they happen to call sometimes out of the blue and say, hey, we want to we want to do a dark ride, and we have a park, um, and we want to do a dark ride, let's say, about Thanksgiving. We did that for Holiday World up in Indiana. And, well, there you go, about Thanksgiving. And that's all they're giving you? Yes. <laughs> and it was up to us to come up with ideas for them and meet with their team and be able to exchange ideas, listen to what they wanted, listen to what they didn't want, and so on and so forth, until finally we all came to a conclusion. Then we did a concept book, and then we sold the ride and designed it, installed it, and it's still a hugely popular uh, dark ride in their park. So that's another way. So the, you never know. You yeah. never know how it's going to happen. Yeah. But we have to be adaptable to anybody. Yeah. And you're you're doing everything from, well... In, in that case, developing the idea behind it, creating it, all the way to production. That, that is right. And you know, you mentioned something. installation. <clears throat> yes, the, the company does all of that. And you mentioned one other little point I want to make is that at Sally, it is different than being at Disney. Yeah. Disney is a massive company with many, many, many designers. we got a handful here. That's a amazing. handful. Sometimes we work with other designers and other, other companies to, to join forces for a project. But very often, it's up to us. And we are able to meet with the salesmen and the clients to be able to determine what, what they want to do. Then we can take that as a designer. We take that to story form. We take that to storyboard form very often and concept and on and on and on. We even get to go out and art direct, work with our mechanical people, work with our scenic people, work with other companies we're dealing with to help maintain the vision that we as or each person as the designer has in mind. And that's rare. Yeah. 
unless you're a really, really top dog at one of the other big, 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 big companies like a Disney or Universal, uh, uh, that's kind of a rarity. So I, I personally have been able to spearhead a number of projects that I started with with the client and the story and, and discussing it with all our folks here, but being able to kind of help maintain that all the way through, yeah. all the way through installation. So that is a real plus. Wouldn't you say, yeah, Logan? Yeah, absolutely. Yes. Yeah, all in-house and uh, you don't feel like a, a cog in the machine. You are, every single person here is an active participant in the creation of all of our yeah. projects. Yeah, you're definitely not lost. No out there somewhere. Yeah. You're you're right here with a small company like this. You're vital. Yeah. Absolutely. And we wear many hats. Yes. Oh, I bet. Yeah. <laughs> many hard hats, I'm sure. <laughs> that too. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Um, yeah. so more into I guess the process of it because you're going to storyboard and I assume you know you present that storyboard, you've come up with the idea, um, the company likes it, um, wants to move forward. I think I'm so fascinated about how you create something like a ride system, like animatronics. I guess from that point, what, what part of it is virtual? What part do you have to put in and say, all right, we're going to do a virtual ride through. And then how does that actually come to fruition of you're physically sitting in a ride now? Because, <laughs> and like you said, everything's different. You know, it's not like you're taking a set ride and saying, all right, we're going to make 30 of these for 30 different parks. And it's the same track system and it's the same everything. I mean, how do you get it to work? I guess is, is kind of the question. That's, that's a really good question. And I'm going to let Logan take a lot of that, but I want to say one thing first is that um, uh, remember the old Imagination ride mm -hmm. at Disney? Oh, yeah. The original one? Yeah. Now, I guess they still have the little song in it now. I don't know. Right, I haven't been yeah. into it. But, uh, but the Dream the, Finder and the all Dream that's Finder gone and, and so on. And the, people, the, people the, miss the original it. <laughs> ride, okay? Yeah. And they talk about the spark. That's where it all comes from. Yeah. That is absolutely oh, true. Great. That is absolutely true. I couldn't get off that ride without tears. Yeah. The original one. And um, it was just, it was just, it, it, it is so true. It's so classic. I'm, I got a little mesmerized by Drew. I totally forgot the question now. <laughs> I'm like, what, what am I supposed to be answering? Well, so. yeah, well, it's like I know, you know, Toy Story Land just opened. Yeah. Um, and watching a lot of the footage um, and even some of the media events that they had down there, they were able to go through a virtual ride through of the yes. coaster. Yes, yes, yes. So, yes, again, yes, how, yes, does yes. That, how does that process work so that you want to know? Because you can't just start building it. I mean, you have to know how no. the track's going to lay out and right. what it's going to feel like and look like before there's the physical presence. Yeah. What is that process? So in, in a lot of ways, it starts with the client providing the building layout. So it's like, this is this is your space. This okay. is what you have to work with. You have this 20,000 square foot or this 10,000 or this 4,000 square foot space, and you have to try to turn it into a ride. So that's one of the initial limitation so right off the bat that's that's what you have and that's when it's then handed to our designers and they then start to map out where the track could go um, it needs to be coordinated with whoever the ride system manufacturer is going to be that is one of the things we do not manufacture mm -hmm. here at sally we we hire a subcontractor uh, vendors to create the ride systems uh -huh. for our rides um, but we do the initial design, the entire layout for the ride uh, that is then presented to the ride manufacturer using whatever specifications they provide. So there's always going to be a ride envelope. And if we've worked with the ride manufacturers numerous times, we already know what all that information is. So our designers can just immediately get to work knowing what they put down on paper based off of their experience is going to work and then just getting the ride manufacturer's sign off on it. So that's one of the very first limitations and for designing the ride because the path then dictates the rooms. And yeah. so they then they figure out the path, they then start adding the walls. From there they determined, you know, this is scene 1, scene 2, scene 3, and then what story elements are going to be in each one of the rooms. So at this point, they they before this, they would have already started on a concept. And so they already have a concept going. They already have a general idea of story from scene to scene to scene and mm -hmm. what they want to tell. They'll know whether a scene is going to be more uh, practical heavy, so like actual scenic environments and practical animatronics and practical targets, or if it's going to be more of a virtual environment where you're coming into um, a room with a 40-foot 
wide by 17 foot tall screen and then it's going to be you're going to be interacting with the screen as if it's a real environment in yeah. front of you so these are the things that our designers determine after we know a general concept that we're going to work with and the space limitations that we have and then from there it's just refinement 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 and the refinement goes on a long time so it's like <laughs> months bet. upon months upon months and in some projects maybe years it just depends <laughs> just depends on the client and and, and how uh, how organized they are with what they want yeah so so no timeline is ever the same, I would assume. But what is a like for the Justice League ride? Um, what is a timeline from Six Flags coming to you and saying, "Here's here's what we need" to the day that it opens, roughly? Wow, that's a that's a there, there's well that in particular uh, extremely complex. Yeah. yeah. Because, for example, if we just have a a a a, uh, a client from the, who has an amusement park that wants to do a ride, we deal with them. They may not want to do an intellectual property like yeah. Justice League. They may want to do something, some just some idea, and we just deal with them. And it goes pretty quickly, usually. Usually, usually goes pretty quickly. But when you're dealing with an intellectual property, yeah. that is a whole nother ballgame. Yeah, and. Uh, you're having to meet the standards of the property holder, the intellectual property holder, and all sorts of, of other entities. Yeah. Uh, so that can go on and on for approvals, for approvals of yeah. what's in the ride, what everything looks like. Way back, we did a number of uh, rides uh, starring the Scooby-Doo gang. Mm-hmm. <clears throat> now, you'd think that would be pretty easy because they were simple rides. They were black light, mostly flat cutout stuff, some 3D elements, and you went through and it was a, a, a little you know, shooting gallery ride. Real cute, pretty, neat, Scooby-Doo, I'd love Scooby-Doo. Every blade of grass had to be approved. <laughs> everything we drew, everything. It just so happened that ride was based on another ride that we had designed sometime before called Ghost Blasters. And uh, they liked the style of that ride, kind of fit the Scooby-Doo style, although it was not designed specifically for it. But anything else we had to add to it to make it Scooby-Doo, we had to change our ghosts to Scooby-Doo ghosts mm-hmm. and so on. So we go, we go into all that sort of Now, that takes time. That takes time. I just want to say one other thing about the layouts. Mm-hmm. And that is, that is just about my favorite part of the process. Yeah. Give me a building. Yeah. Give me a building. Give me... An old building. Give me a new building. I don't care. I love laying out the rides. That is that is a. Um, it's it's like a puzzle. Yeah. It's like a puzzle because we we now have the ability to use the computer to do virtual ride throughs where mm-hmm. the client can actually see, visualize what's going to be around the corner when you go. What's going to be back in the not too d- distant past, yeah. a yeah. few years ago, really. Uh, it was up to us as designers to be able to imagine that. And to create that ride, I had to mentally set myself in a seat in a vehicle, mentally, go through, work out the layout, and as I laid out the ride, I had to be there. Yeah. I had to know what's going to be in that scene. It couldn't be a mystery to have. I had to know what's going to be in that scene. And how, you, how is it going to be revealed? What's going to be the next, and how is it going to... So that was part of the process, and I love that part of the process. But the whole process, as you were asking earlier, um, very often takes a couple of years. Yeah. Mm-hmm. It can take a year or so. Sometimes it takes a couple of, I don't know how long Justice League took from very beginning. The, the earliest to, one, it was over a year for sure. It was sure. well over a year. Yeah. Because just the approval process alone, when there's, when there's so many parts that have to go through an approval process, it, yeah, you're, you're looking at with a big brand new IP ride, a minimum of a year. But more than likely, we're talking probably uh, at least 15 to 16 months. Yeah. So, yeah. Now, during, you're on site for a lot of this, correct? Yes. As project manager, how long are you typically on site? Are, are you there for the duration of the actual installation and all? Or is it something that you only have to go in and check 
in nah. on what does your job, I guess, entail as far as it depends, once it's getting installed? It depends on the the scope of the project. It depends on the size of the project. So we have um, dark rides that are sort of the traditional Sally dark rides. Some of our, I don't want to say simple, but some of our simpler installs. And these are rides that don't necessarily require a lot of project management because all of our install team are so skilled at what they do and they have been doing it so long that honestly they just need me to go to the site before they get there make sure everything's ready for them make sure everything's lined up and they have what they need and then they can just handle it from there yeah. and they'll let me know when it's over yeah. <laughs> and that everything's good and if there's a problem I may have to go back but otherwise, for small projects, I, I literally I'm just the lookout man, and then I coordinate everything up to the install. I still stay involved and coordinate with my team during the install, and then everything's good. But with a project, a larger project like the Justice League rides, or and several of the projects we have in the pipeline right now, these are going to be rides that require me to be there every yeah. day from the start of the install to the end of the install so i may get a break to come home every now and then during some of the lulls yeah. uh but it, for the bigger projects where there's lots of uh, subcontractors that we have to coordinate everything with it requires us being there to make sure everything is done in a timely manner in an efficient manner and that everything works at the end and so it's it's a process, and there's lots of overlapping parts. So the project manager's got to stay on top of all of it. Yeah. And Logan writes five billion emails a day. <laughs> I bet. Right. <laughs> so, so once once the ride is installed, how much testing does it then go through? I mean, as you're talking now with the virtual, you obviously have in a sense seen the ride, and as it's being built, you've seen it. But before it actually opens, how many times is it recommended that? It's written through to make sure that you're not going to have unforeseen breakdowns or issues. Uh, what's that process? Well, uh, there's okay, there's a lot of factors in that. Um, either way, the, every one of our rides goes through a, a inspection, mm -hmm. making sure that everything is safe before anybody anybody rides the attraction. So. We've always got that towards the end of the installation. Um, from that point, once it's been SAT tested, it then goes through just a rigorous, almost nonstop, uh, constant output, dispatch, 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 dispatch. And so we are just running the ride for, if, if, we're, if we're lucky with the schedule and we've got the time to do this, um, we can just run it for weeks. Yeah. And so, and that's when we would just fine tune everything, and everything's just fine tuned. A fine lot tuned, of moving parts, yeah. literally moving oh, parts, yeah. <laughs> in, in these attractions. Yeah, and I mean, and we're talking, you know, a fraction of a second can make a big difference between an effect working effectively or just being. You're like, ah, you just and, just missed that punch. Yeah. That's right, and that's where the theatricality yes. comes into it, because you can have all the elements. But if timing isn't right, the sound levels aren't right, if the lighting is off a little bit, this and that, that everything, it's, it's just a total theatrical experience. Yeah. Yeah. And uh, everything has to be aligned perfectly. And then we have the training. Yes. Training time for uh, the clients, yeah. the people yeah. that run the ride. Of course. Uh, that's, that's incredibly important. So they are familiar with it by the time the very first guest rides it. Yeah. In an ideal world, there would be at least a, a month after everything's been tested and we hand over that the ride can just be run and the operations team and the park can really get a chance to get used to all the little tiny details of the ride and if things do go wrong they have the time to learn how to fix it quickly before something goes wrong while <laughs> There's a ton of guests yeah. waiting in line, and yep. so, and you know, and I say something wrong, and I'm not talking anything that's like life threatening. I'm just saying right. something as minuscule as um, one of our auto doors, something triggered the sensor, and so now the auto door is staying open instead of closing. It's like there's so it's, many things. There's so many, so many moving parts, especially in in a big. Um, very technology-heavy ride like our Justice League rides. Yeah, but man. Um, 
what else? Obviously, you guys want to create the best experience possible. Absolutely. That goes without, you know. Uh, what are some other things that go into it that people don't normally think about? How much, how important is it on capacity? How important is the length of the ride, which, of course, is some of that's going to come down to the size of the building you're working with. But what are some of the things people don't think about? And I'm really thinking capacity. Throughput. You know? Yeah. Throughput, throughput. Yeah. That is one of the first things that clients always talk about. We need to get people through this ride. Yeah. Some people have less requirements than others, but we have to, it is a contractual element that actually goes in the contract. Yeah. How many people we're going to get through this ride? Okay. And what is the dispatch time? There's all kinds of formulas that they use to, uh, to determine if you have X number of cars, how long is the track? What is yep. the dispatch time and all that sort of thing? It gets down to some pretty interesting mathematical uh, equations yeah. that uh, have to be adhered to because nobody wants to wait a long time to get up. But, you know, dark rides are notoriously, uh, old ones especially, it takes a while. Like Peter Pan at Disney has a huge long line yeah, yeah, every time yeah. you go. <laughs> Huge. It takes a long time to get in those flying pirate galleons, you know. Yeah. <laughs> you know, and uh, but then they have a ride such as um, uh, Pirates of the Caribbean, where they have a tremendous throughput yeah. with the boats, because yeah. they haul out you know an X number of people in there, and so on and so forth. So that's something that's extremely important in the in the development of this that the guest doesn't really think about. The only time they think about it is we're waiting. Right. We're waiting. Let's get on this ride. Yeah. Let's get on this ride. But you've got to get people through. You've got to get people through and get through get through safely. Number one. Yeah. And of uh, number two is obviously have a fabulous time. Yeah. What is the average length or uh, not length, but I guess. Um, time of a ride where it needs a refurbishment or where typically you see that how long does Justice League go before it needs to be refurbished or replaced <laughs> you know what is I mean again we go to Disney all the time we enjoy the rides but they're not new you know for us anymore so what what is typical of that or is that just completely up to the client or is it something that you guys still have such a great relationship that two and a half years later you just know that that's the time frame to make some modifications or some updates. Or I would say that uh, most rides have a long life. Yeah. Um, average, mm -hmm. you know, 10, 15 years, 20. And sometimes it's the classics. I mean, uh, yeah, the Haunted Mansion in oh, yeah. Disney has been going since, what, 69 is what yeah. it is, the original. And um, uh, that's a classic. Well, they're not all that classic. Right. Not all of them yeah. are that classic. <laughs> and sometimes a park wants to. It's, it's run its course, basically, after 10 or 12 years, perhaps. And they want to either upgrade it, add new things to it, or gut it yeah. and redo. We just did a uh, one of our Ghost Blaster rides, classical Ghost Blaster rides, in a uh, small park north of Stockholm, Sweden. And they had an old haunted castle ride. It already had a beautiful facade. And it had been there since, I guess, the very, very early 90s. And they decided they wanted to put in one of our interactive Ghost Blaster rides. And they didn't want it really scary. They wanted it more for children, which yeah. is what this ride is. And, and uh, so they gutted the ride. We made just a few wall changes, a few little, and I laid out the ride in that. And they, they enhanced the facade, had a big brand new opening. Now, people that have gone to this small park north of Stockholm called Furevik, uh, uh, had been in the same structure for years and years and years, but all of a sudden they enhanced the structure. They made it look more beautiful. It made it look more creepy. They made it. Look, it was. They really did a lot. We had a brand new entrance to the ride. Mm -hmm. People that never come in the building the same way they go in now. They go in and they see different things. So even though it's the same structure, it's different. And that was that was a classic case of the park deciding this ride needs an, needs not just an upgrade but a new ride. Yeah. Uh, so that was maybe I don't know what, uh, 20 plus years, 25, 28 yeah. years. A long time. I don't know, a long time. So uh, it varies. Yeah. Now, and I'd love to hear from each of you, and it'll probably be a simple question, but maybe not a simple answer. What makes it great? We know no simple ride? answers. Yeah, <laughs> it never sorry. is. I can, uh, I can already tell looking we, around your office, nothing is simple. I'm sorry, I didn't mean that. Um, what? what makes a great dark ride to you? personally maybe not necessarily to your client or to you know the average uh, theme park goer but to you logan what yeah. makes a great dark ride i think it i think at the end of the day you can add as many trendy technological advances you can do 
all these marketing strategies. You can try all kinds of different things, but at the end of the day, it all comes down to effective storytelling. Yeah. How effective can you tell a story? Is it believable? Can the guests pick up on it? Do they understand the whole purpose of them being there? Why are they interacting with this environment if they are interacting? If they're not interacting, what's the purpose of them being there? There needs to be something that engages the guest. The guest has to want to be there and has to understand their purpose for being there. And it doesn't have to be some kind of like insane metaphysical reason for them being there or something like highly conceptual. It doesn't have to be that way. Just a simple explanation that is like, oh, that makes sense. I can, I, you know, I can imagine that. I, I believe that. You sold me on it. It's the same reason why you just, when you walk into Adventureland or when you walk into Tomorrowland, you're just like, I accept that I am now in a new world. Yeah. I'm not. I'm in the same park. <laughs> you know, it's, but you, there's that element of storytelling. And there's, you know, when you talk about Disney and just even the theming of the park, it's the storytelling and all the details that adds to it and makes it more believable when you go from set to set to set and world to world to world within the park. And it's the same thing within a dark ride. The better the storytelling, the better the dark ride. Love it. How about you, Drew? Well, um, what he said. <laughs> uh, but uh, <clears throat> to me... Um, Part of the what makes a good dark ride is when you enter a dark ride, which, as I said earlier, is a controlled environment. Yeah. Controlled theatrical environment. The the good dark rides to me, the best dark rides, take me to another realm. Yeah. It could be a happy realm. It could be a mysterious realm. It could be an informative realm. It can be any a space realm. It can be any kind of a realm. But when I go in that ride, and I'm no longer in the real world outside, it takes me to another place. I forget about that. The journey to your in, into imagination that we talked about a little bit ago. Uh, when you go in that, what else can you possibly think of? Yeah, It's done yeah. so well. That ride was so beautiful. When you're going through one of our little ghost blaster shows for, that Sally has produced, several of these, uh, it's a simple ride. It's not technology heavy, mm-hmm. like Justice League. But when you go through there, it's a pretty ride. It's visually interesting. There's great music. And you're having fun. Same way with Justice League, Battle for Metropolis. You're surrounded by special effects and, and 3D video, interactive video, and it's, it's amazing. 4D effects, all sorts of things. But the basis is you are in another realm. And there's one other little element of that that I want to mention, too. And that is the magic of a dark ride. Yeah. And this, this is a little bit different than what I was just talking about. The magic of a dark ride is when you think of all the amusement rides out there, a roller coaster, a, a swing ride, uh, a tilt-a-whirl, old tilt-a-whirl, whatever it is, you see all of those. Yeah. You see them. You say, okay, we're going to do this, we're going to do this, we're going to do this. A dark ride, you don't see it. Mm-hmm. It's, it's that element of mystery. It's that element of anticipation yeah. of what are we going to find on the inside? Where are they going to take us? And then you go in, you get in your vehicle and suddenly it goes this way and you're in the dark and you go this way and something happens or what, whatever it may be is that anticipation of something of the unknown. You're going into this realm. And I think that is part of the magic. Those are great answers. <laughs> um, where where do you see the future of rides? You know, uh, I don't I don't know if either of you have done Flight of Passage yep. uh, in Pandora, but you know, a lot more it seems, and, and it looks like this is going to be the way the new uh, rides in Galaxy's Edge will be. Is a lot of these are becoming simulators. Um, now they did, you know, in Toy Story Land they had more traditional with the coaster, and then they have the swirling saucers, but. I think you see a lot of these going to simulators uh, with the way virtual reality is coming along. Um, the the void that they have with Star Wars down at Disney Springs right now is is incredible. It doesn't. T- I mean, it takes up a storefront basically, so it doesn't have to take up a lot of space. Do you think more stuff is going to go to more of a virtual and simulator as opposed to the classic 
actual vehicle ride, or do you think that there's just going to be a world where they continue to both exist and because you need both? Well, I've been on Rite of Passage, and it is a magnificent ride. Again, I had tears at the end of that yeah. thing. I didn't want it to end. Yeah. I wanted to keep going. I wanted, yeah. I'm going to keep flying. You know, <laughs> the music, the effects, the vi- everything was beautiful, but it's not a dark ride. Yeah. It is a simulated experience, yeah. Yeah. and there's a difference. Yeah, definitely. Uh, to me, a dark ride is taking you places. Yeah. You go places. And the fabulous technology that we use in our Justice League Battle for Metropolis rides, uh, the, the 3D uh, video experiences uh, and with 4D effects and such, is also enhanced by lots of um, real practical sets. Mm-hmm. In my opinion, uh, the, the use of these tremendously technical tremendous technical effects is extremely valid and so on but for me personally when I go into a ride I will want to be I want to be there I can't get that at home yeah mm-hmm. I can act I can sit at home and do virtual reality or I can sit at home and look at a computer and go places and I can put earphones on and I can you know, I can do all that at home sitting in my den yeah. or my my playroom or something you know but what I can't do at home is be in the environment, yeah. see it, smell it, experience it, go through it. It is there. I could reach out and touch it. You don't want to do that, but you could. <laughs> that, to me, is the mark. And, 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 and using the other technology to enhance all that yeah. is great. But a true dark ride and the development of dark rides, I hope, never, ever loses that tactile, you are there. You can't get it anywhere else yeah. aspect. I love that. That's great. You have anything to yeah. add, Logan? Yeah, that was pretty I mean, good. I, I was about to say, I'll just, I'll just piggyback on, on what Drew was saying. I agree 100% with what he says, and especially the element of, of virtual realities. It's becoming so mainstay and so easily accessible yeah. at, at home. And that's the beauty of virtual reality is you can be at home and be taken to a virtual place. And that's what makes it great. But inside a park, I feel like that trend is, it may not be around for much longer, um, especially with a lot of the negative feedback from coasters and rides that have added VR. Yeah, And it hasn't necessarily added to the experience it's a, it's it's a great concept and some of them have been done really well uh, but the problem becomes if you're on the ride and then all of a sudden you lose communication with your glasses you're now on a coaster and all you see is black yeah <laughs> and it's it's very awkward it's very uncomfortable it's it's not it doesn't feel good on your head it slows down throughput tremendously um there's a lot of negatives to the virtual reality attractions um and again you know cleanliness cleanliness is a big part of virtual reality you're if you're having to like (laughs) constantly turn and burn people in these rides and you're having to clean these these devices that people are putting right on their faces if they have a cold you know you can wipe it down but it's it from a cleanliness standpoint virtual reality is it's going to reach its end where it's too much on operations it's not efficient to have rides with that on the take my glasses sorry you can't you can't see too well so i feel like i feel like that is going to become more of a home thing where it's controlled and but the i mean the great part is parks can now they can they can capitalize on their rides. People yeah. want to ride the roller coasters that they can't drive to. Right. Well, guess what? You can virtually ride it. Yeah. You, there's ways that you can, you know, get it, the parks can record the ride, give you the whole sense of being on it. It's not the same as being on it, but it can give you the sense of being on it from the comfort of your home. There's a way to market that. Yeah. And that's how parks can make extra money off of their rides by selling the ride, the ride experience on a virtual standpoint. Yeah. Keep the roller coaster as it is. Because once you put on that, that VR headset, you've then lost so much of what makes a roller coaster great. 
you don't see yourself barrel rolling in the trees flipping around you you see virtual environments but what if your your sight is just slightly out of focus guess what you get nauseous oh yeah if that video is just slightly off you're sick like i said if you lose communication you're just looking at a black screen there's, there's lots of things that are that are working against it um now with a dark ride you don't have a lot of those issues uh, the beauty, as, as uh, Drew was saying, too, is with the dark ride, the experience will never, ever be able to be duplicated at home. Yeah. Ever. Uh, ever, 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 ever. And that's what's amazing about dark rides. And, and I, I think, really, if we talk about the idea of the, the direction of dark rides moving forward and how virtual is becoming more of a... Uh, you know, a technological aspect of it, the technology just keeps getting better. Projection yeah. mapping is going to be huge. It already is right now, but, you know, when they open Mickey and Minnie's Runaway yeah. Railroad, that is really going to show how they're pushing the boundaries of projection mapping yeah. inside dark rides. Um, and so all these different elements, Mystic, Mystic Manor over in Hong Kong Disneyland is just a beautiful merger of projection mapping and a dark ride experience. Um, and I keep naming Disney rides in particular just because this is a Disney heavy show. But we also have our Justice League at Magic Mountain, which incorporates projection mm -hmm. mapping. Uh, we have projection map uh, trucks and facades and where you are interacting and uh, shooting or blasting these uh joker henchmen as they're trying to attack you and so we have all that stuff incorporated in our rides as well and as our rides the next batch of rides that are in the works are going to have a lot of that as well and that's that's going to be you're going to see more and more of that that element of the it's the augmented reality that is going to take over all the parks we already know that all the parks are moving in this direction between the whole galaxy's edge section the uh, an expansion at both um hollywood studios as well as uh, out in disneyland um you've got all of the i mean all of the rumors for the new universal park and the whole new nintendo section yeah. and all these elements that and these new universal patents that keep coming out I mean, that's just, that's the direction everyone's going. And so it's going to be this beautiful merger between real and practical that's just going to continue and make dark rides better and better and better. But there's always going to be that desire to have a dark ride that is practical. The beauty of Pirates of the Caribbean the beauty of the original Haunted Mansion is they're practical with simple yet highly effective illusions. Yeah. And you I mean, you, it's hard to top that experience of being there. All yeah. of those things you've been talking about are tools. Yeah. Yes. yeah they're all tools yes. to serve the story. Yeah. That's great. Well, I cannot thank you guys enough. Is there is there anything else you think you'd want to add? I mean, this has been so fascinating. Um, I'll certainly look at, I know we're going to Disney next week, and I can just imagine how differently I'll even look at some of these rides now after just talking to you guys here for, you know, a half hour. Um, and, and all those little things that you're talking, all the little mm -hmm. nuances and all of the, you know, the way that it makes you feel. Um, because I know that's what I want to look for in a ride. And, and that's what I loved about Flight of Passage was that, it truly doesn't matter what was happening before the ride. Doesn't matter what's going to happen to me after the ride. Doesn't matter if I was stressing about work or, mm -hmm. you know, something else. For those few minutes, you're in the moment. You're in the moment. Yeah. And um, <clears throat> one time recently, as, as you were mentioned, I mean, it almost brings you to tears on it. I we've gotten to ride it a lot of times, luckily. Um, and one of the recent times, I watched a family next to me who had never ridden it. And I literally didn't even watch the ride. I watched them. Mm -hmm. And it was one of the coolest experiences where at the end, I'm literally like emotional yeah. mm -hmm. just thinking and watching them because I could tell nothing else mattered in their lives for those few minutes. Oh, yeah. Um, and it's just amazing. And I love that you guys are part of creating that because I can tell that that's a big part of it. Obviously, you want to you want to do something you love to do, mm -hmm. but you guys are creating things that help other people, that take other people out of their realities, that give them family moments and bonding, and that's just the coolest thing ever. And I know that that has to be so rewarding, you know, when you, when you watch somebody ride one of your rides that you've 
you've created. It really is. It really is. And you know, you talk about the uh, long-time memories and such. And I mentioned earlier about going to Disneyland the first time. Well, uh, in 1958, a park in California opened called Pacific Ocean Park. And it's right, it was right at the uh, merger of um, uh, Santa Monica and Venice Beach. And it was a park built on an old amusement pier that had been there for decades, but they rethemed it to the Pacific Ocean, uh -huh. more or less, using old rides, revamped them, and so on and so forth, but added a bunch of new stuff. A lot of uh, Hollywood designers worked on this. It was kind of an answer to Disneyland. Uh, it was certainly not as well-crafted as Disneyland at all, <laughs> and it only lasted 10 years or so. But people out there all knew about it. It was called Pacific Ocean Park, a.k.a. POP, P-O-P. And... My dad took me to that the first summer it opened, 1958, all mid-century modern looking. And there were some experiences in that that completely helped change my life. Yeah. And one of them was at the very end of the pier called the South Sea Island Ride. It was, well, it was called on several names, Mystery Island, South Sea Island Ride. And you got on a little banana train. And they had a whole banana jungle planted at the end and a volcano at the end. And you got to ride up the side of the volcano in this little banana train. I remember as a kid, eight-year-old kid, uh, looking down and seeing the Pacific Ocean down there below me. And I'm going. And, and at that moment, I was on some island, yeah. going into a cave. And you go in and you see the volcanoes. You see the lava blasting up. You see, you, there was a uh, or a, a a spinning tunnel that gave my dad and me vertigo. <laughs> you went through all sorts of other. They had a dark. Uh, a, a, a dark ride enclosed forest in this ride. You went through the crater of the volcano. That's all I could talk about when I went back to Shreveport, Louisiana, to my school the next you know fall, to tell my friends about. Between that and Peter Pan and Mr. Toad, and in Mr. Toad we went to hell, by the way, which yeah. was so cool, <laughs> and, and, and Snow White and so on. That's what I talked about. Uh, so that's that memory, and that's when, like I said, I wanted to grow up. And the other thing I just wanted to say is that I gave a tour earlier today, uh, and one of the things I ended with is, you, you know, you can do it if you have a desire to be out there and do this kind of a thing. You know, study it, learn about it, experience mm -hmm. it as best you can, and go for it, because you only got one chance. You, you know, you got one life to do this in. And I think that's one of our one of our mantras here is that we are fortunate to have some of the best jobs in the world. Yeah. Uh, for our personality and our, our interests and our passion and so on. And if you have a passion for it, go for it. Mm -hmm. That's great. Now, you, st you guys do offer tours of your facility. Can you talk a little bit about that for anybody that's within, you know, the Jacksonville area or coming through the Jacksonville area that they could stop in and, and get a tour and learn a little bit more about what you guys do? Absolutely. So we give tours Tuesdays and Thursdays. We do not give them during the summer, yeah. um, mainly because our shop is not air conditioned. Yeah. So it gets <laughs> extremely hot out there. Uh, so we don't want to put guests through that experience. Um, and so all you have to do is call up Sally Corporation. Uh, you can also check out our website, uh, Sally Corp, S-A-L-L-Y-C-O-R-P.com. Uh, we have all the information there you need. Uh, but like I said, the tours are given every Tuesday and Thursday, uh, usually during the school years, because that is our peak. That's yeah. when we have a lot of school um, tours that we give throughout the school year. And other and, social groups. And other social groups. You know, absolutely. Senior citizens. You know? Oh, sure. And absolutely. The, and the great part is anybody, it's, mm -hmm. it's not limited to just schools or limited to just groups. If you're a single person and you just want to come, They'll be like, awesome, we'll just add you to this other small yeah. group. So there's no limitations to, to come and just call and schedule it ahead. We do book really far in advance okay. because this is an extremely popular tour. Yeah. So, you know, we pretty much are booked solid the entire year. So it's good to, to call ahead of time. There's always openings. It's just if you if you have very specific date you want to come, you need to plan ahead. Okay. And usually it's, uh, I believe, the cutoff is first grade, from first grade up, I think. I know there is uh, an age limit. Yeah, I'm not yeah. sure what that is. But so, it's, yeah. And in a, lot, in a lot of ways it is because some of the things inside our building are a little scary yeah. for the younger kids. And so we want to make sure they're mature enough to yeah. handle it. So Definitely. don't want to traumatize them. But yes. it really is one of the greatest 
uh, jewels in Jacksonville. Absolutely. Oh, yeah. Uh, and a lot of people drive by this building all the time, and I tell people, yeah, that's the most colorful building in Jacksonville, and it's the most colorful business in Jacksonville. Yeah, yeah. I can tell. And a lot of people, of course, think we're a hair products company. <laughs> That's uh, what I was telling Logan because my wife's a hairdresser. <laughs> oh, is that right? So he's always driving by and As you can see from me, we don't do hairdressing, <laughs> you know, since I don't have a hair on my head. But uh, uh, but it's 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 remarkable, and people are always discovering us. People who lived here forever, yeah, who had no clue what we're, we're right downtown. Yeah. yeah. That's great. And then one one more thing I want to add, Jeremy, when you were talking about just something that your guests may not think about when they're going to the parks and the experience is I just challenge all of your guests when they go to a park and they're going in these different lands, I just want them to slow down mm-hmm. and really look. Yeah. Look at the concrete. Yeah. Look at the light poles. Look at the benches. Look at the directional signs. Look at all the facades. Look at the the plants and the um, the architecture. How are all of these elements telling a story? Yeah. How are all of them supporting each other to tell this very specific story of this is where you are? And this place is different than this place and different from this place because all the details are there. And that's when you'll you'll really notice when you go from park to park, too, as you explore all kinds of different parks. It's those little details that you notice when you go to a park that's not some of the bigger parks. You notice that when you're just walking and it's just all concrete and it's just all, you know, rides that nothing's all you see is rides and there's nothing thematic that's separating any of the sections there's no real change in architecture there's just you know this is now this section and here's the name of this section and this section but you're like but they all look the same it's a big part of that's such a good point theme parks. that's yeah. such a good part and theme parks uh, versus amusement parks yeah that's of course, such a good yeah. point logan because i was talking with someone recently we were talking about islands of adventure universal islands uh-huh. of adventure and I said something about the entrance of it with the with the I forget what is the name of the uh, the entrance. Call of Duty. No, wait, no. The, call the port, of, call, port, port of Call. Port of Call. Port of Call. Call of Duty. Call of Duty. Sorry. <laughs> I'm thinking video game. That's a separate podcast. Yeah. And uh, and they went. Yeah, it's just a bunch of shops. You know, we walk through it and we go. I said, wait, stop. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I said, no, 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 no. I said I have gone in there many times and I've found a bench to sit to the side. One time I sat there for a couple of hours. Just watch people go by, watch people, how they're reacting to all this. Most people just go. Yeah. Or they go into a shop, or yeah. they go in and get a Coke, or they go in and get a souvenir. But they go. But you look up, look above, look around. Yeah. Everything is absolutely brilliantly calculated to take you to a place, yes. to transport you. Yeah. Uh, and it's in the same way, go into the Seuss land, yeah. uh, <laughs> and it's, it is gorgeous. The carousel, the everything, the yeah. walkways, the 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 railings, the paint tones, you name it, yeah. is yeah. all there. Someone had to design every teeny weeny yeah. bit of that. Yeah. With what you're talking about, Logan, in yeah. mind. Yeah. yeah, and it's just like compare Magic Kingdom to Animal Kingdom. Mm-hmm. When you walk into Main Street USA, you're overwhelmed with nostalgia. You are taken to a whole different place in time. When you walk into the oasis at Animal Kingdom, and all it is is natural growth and animals, and there's no, you can't see rides, you can't see any of that. They intentionally make you walk through this quiet, beautifully natural environment before you get to see that shot of the tree of life and the the Uh, huge opening. Again, totally calculated. Totally calculated. And, and, And two completely different experiences when you walk into a park one you're just like overwhelmed with yeah i'm here it's fun it's upbeat you've got the music you've got the smell of popcorn and then the other one tranquil quiet you are now leaving the concrete world of the parking lot Mm -hmm. and you are entering into this this oasis as it's appropriately called and so storytelling and theming and and just everything we've been talking about, it's, it's those details where if you just slow down and really pay attention to them, you just have a far greater appreciation for 
all of the design work that goes yeah. into parks. Oh yeah, and uh, I love that you guys bring that up. And it's one thing we talk about a lot on our show is you know everybody's always trying to get to the next thing. Yeah. Everybody's trying to get to their fast pass time, or they're trying. They have a checklist before they go and say, "Here's 20 rides we have to ride, and if we don't, our vacation sucks." Yeah. Yeah. And, and it's not that way. It is stopping. It's seeing the details. It's everything you guys are talking about. One of the best things we ever did was the Keys to the Kingdom tour at Magic mm-hmm. Kingdom because they truly were like, you stop and you listen to the music change over. Yeah. Like mm-hmm. you said, look at the concrete, the way that it goes from Main Street USA into Adventureland. Mm-hmm. Yep. Mm-hmm. Look at the colors of the fence. Look at the different mm-hmm. you know, topiaries, exactly everything. everything. And we do that so often now, and we tell our listeners, just stop. Yeah. You know, Stop mm-hmm. and look around. Don't worry about checking stuff off of your your ride list. It's not about all the uh, rides that you experience, it's about the actual experiences. And I I love that you guys brought that up. It's- I would dare your writer, your your, your readers, excuse me, your listeners. (laughs) (laughs) I would, (laughs) writers, readers, listeners. Okay, (laughs) you folks. Uh, I, I I would dare you to go to a park, go to Epcot, go to Magic Kingdom, go to Universal, and don't ride anything. Yeah. That is great. I've done that several times. It's hard. Yeah. yeah. It's hard. Don't ride in it. Go in the morning and stay until closing and look. Walk around and look and view and absorb. Yeah. It's such an education. Yeah. That's great. Well, guys, thank you for your time. Thank you, Jeremy. Uh, I know how busy you are, and so I really appreciate it. And uh, that's all I've got. We'll great. see you real soon. It's been a pleasure. Thank you.